Well, it's not been a great day for Kwasi Kwarteng, the UK's new chancellor, who really has to take the blame for the pound tanking. Or do we blame the markets for overreacting? Either way, he's not offering anything to help the pound recover, and neither is the Bank of England. So will it correct itself without any intervention? Or can we expect an emergency Bank of England meeting maybe this week? Can we really wait till November? Uh, Bond yields have skyrocketed in the UK, and how is it playing out in other countries? We've seen a, a big rise in Treasury yields as well today. The situation is now so uncertain in the UK that some banks and building societies have stopped selling their mortgage products, saying that they can't price them properly. It's Tuesday, the 27th of September, 2022. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. Well, the Aussie dollar now 114 on the DXY index. That's up three quarters of 1% in one day. It was higher than that earlier in the day with the falling pound. So let's have a look at the pound because that is the big news today. The pound is below $1.07. It's 1.5% down today, but it did get down much more than that, down to $1.350, its lowest level ever. It has regained a little ground. The same can't be said for gilt yields. 10-year gilts now are up to up 42 basis points, up to 4.24%. That is almost 1%, 100 basis points higher than they were on Thursday before Kwasi Kwarteng gave his mini-budget. Uh, even more of a rise for two-year yields. We'll come back to that shortly. We've also seen a sharp rise in 10-year yields in the United States. 10-year Treasury is up 22 basis points, up to 3.9%. Italy, uh, they're up 21 basis points after that likely election win for Giorgio Maloney. Ten-year yields there at 4.54%, a bit higher than in the UK, uh, but less than the gap we were seeing last week, that's for sure. And Aussie ten-year yields a long way from all of this action, of course, but still up eight basis points to 3.98%. In fact, up 10 basis points since on futures. Uh, the Aussie dollar is also down 1%. The Swiss franc down 1.1%. The euro down 0.8%. Whilst bond yields are up just about every where equities are down just about everywhere, except for, ironically, the uh, FTSE 100, which was up slightly, but the DAX has lost half a percent. The Dow is down 1.1%. The S&P 500 has lost 0.8%. The NASDAQ at closed down 0.6%. The VIX, the fear index, back over 32 for the first time since June. And oil, well down again. Brent is below 84 now, having fallen 2.6%. WTI down 2.7% at less than $77 a barrel. So how low is oil going to go? Uh, that's another question in the background. But really, it has been quite a day in the UK, hasn't it? So let's look at that. Let's talk through it with Taylor Nugent at NAB in Melbourne. So as I say, the pound fell to a dollar three. Then it started to regain a bit of ground because there was this hope today, overnight, that the Bank of England would step in, but they haven't. And I think the problem is now that nobody is saying anything. The bank is not doing anything. The treasurer is not saying anything. In fact, Kwarteng, the chancellor, has said there will be a full assessment with a new fiscal plan on the 23rd of November, which is two months away. No wonder the markets are shaky this morning. Yeah, good. Good morning, Phil. I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Certainly clouded in uncertainty at the moment, and and a lot of the detail really still missing from that um, that um, growth plan, as it was called on on Friday. And you can really see that in in the market reaction as well. Certainly, you know, yeah. after those big moves on Friday, markets have have gone away, considered over the weekend, and they've they've come back, and they still don't like it. Is probably the um, the key assessment there. Um, as you say, we really saw some um, some fairly meaningful price action in in 
in the pound as well have fell to an all-time low of 1.035, as you said, um, during in the early in the, the Asian session, um, and then kind of ground back um, over the kind of several hours after that, really supported by that that rise in gilt yields and expectations for for um, you know more more action by the BOE to raise interest rates and and stem that fall in in the pounds. Their next meeting, their next meeting is in November. I mean, so two year gilt yields now uh, up four point up to four point five three percent. That's sixty two basis points today. That's one hundred and ten higher than it was on Thursday. Uh, so the Bank of England surely has to has to has to respond to all of this, doesn't it? But uh, which is why all this talk about an emergency meeting. Do you think that's going to happen? Well, the, the BOE really poured a lot of cold water on on expectations for an emergency meeting. Markets had been pricing as much as um, eighty basis points of tightening this week ahead of the net their next meeting on. Um, the 3rd of November, but a statement from the Bank of England out around um, a few hours ago, um, Sydney time, um, did say that they would have a full assessment of the implications of the the growth plan um, at their next meeting on the 3rd of November, um, and that they wouldn't hesitate to, to change interest rates as, as much as necessary. Um, but really, the, the signal there seemed to be that they um, weren't planning to do um, something as, as soon as, as this week, and were going to wait for that November meeting mm. um, before responding. After that, though. Exactly, after, after yeah. that statement, the, yeah. And, and Danny Blanchflower, who's a former member of the MPC, was on Bloomberg in the last hour or so, saying he thinks the other board member, I mean, this was sort of like a statement that was issued by the, by the governor. He, he thinks the other board members will be banging on his door demanding an emergency meeting, you know, and, and he was saying he thinks one's going to happen this week. So, I mean, it's, you know, the, the, a statement from the bank doesn't necessarily mean that it's uh, they, they're going to wait till November. I mean, it's, it seems a bit unlikely, doesn't it? Certainly, there is still some uncertainty there. So, yeah, the pound, the pounds um, was back, back down. Um, it reached, it got back above its last week's close um, before ahead of that statement up to 109.31 and then, and then fell back um on that news as expectations for tightening in kind of the immediate term were paired, there were as much as 200 basis points um, discounted by that um, 3 November meeting um, going into that statement. It's come back a little bit now, but still expectations or, or at least what's discounted in, in markets is for a 150 basis point move on the 3rd of November. Um, as you say, though, it is it is a fairly fast moving beast. Certainly um, in the Bank of England statement um, or the, the statement from the governor, um, there was kind of they welcomed um, um, Treasurer Kwarteng's plan to um, have a, a full update on the 23rd of November and importantly, one that includes, um, you know, full costings and an outlook from the OBR as well. And so, mm. you know, given given what we've just said about kind of the lack of clarity on, on the detail here, you know, it could... I'm sure the BOE is in in a similar position, wanting to to see some more clarity if they if they can buy time. And certainly, it looks two months like away. The, yeah, the concerted <laughs> effort from uh, from the Treasury and the and the BOE is that you know not, nothing to see here just yet. Um, you know, we've got it under control, but we'll we'll respond in in due course. And it does, you know, given that there wasn't that detail ready to go on on Friday, it does does raise mm. some questions um, about about why. Um, 
there's so much detail was was revealed on Friday ahead of the the full update. Um, but interestingly, there was a bit of a shift in in rhetoric from um, from the treasurer as well, noting that in in that plan would be um, you know a, a path to to have um, debt to GDP coming down over over the medium term, and certainly a nod in the direction um, that, yeah. that markets are looking for. But you know, much detail by cutting missing. spending. That's that, that that's how going to do that, which means they'll lose all their red wall seats up in the in the north of England. So it's not good good news for the party. But I wonder whether there's a a bit of a an overreaction to to all of this because I mean, obviously, a chunk of this this spending, and everyone is having to move very quickly because of the situation we find ourselves in. A chunk of this spending is subsidising energy costs, which obviously is helping to reduce inflation. So I mean, I wonder if are markets overplaying this? Are they overreacting? Could we find that actually, even if the Bank of England doesn't meet this week, things do just calm down a bit and we uh, you know uh, we, we we all accept the fact that uh, these are extraordinary times and to try and beat inflation and actually be able to you know fund people to get through winter there is going to have to be an extraordinary amount of government spending and we're just going to have to live with it i mean if you if you look at it like that and then you look at britain's uh, the uk's uh, you know debt to gdp ratio government debt to gdp ratio it's not actually that bad yeah, certainly that's the, you know, that's the positive case to be made that this is just smoothing through a period of elevated energy prices, reducing that hit um, to both business and, and household balance sheets from the surge higher in energy costs. And by the time, you know, some of these tax cuts come in from, from next year, maybe the demand stimulus that's implicit in that will be, you know, welcome if it is a, a period that, you know, that, that supply side does start to to normalize and those constraints ease. Um, but at, at the same time, you know, in in the near term, you, you talk about it, it reducing inflation. It certainly does do that from the you know measured consumer prices, but it doesn't change the facts of of energy scarcity facing the UK and constraining no. the UK economy. Absolutely. It just just shifts who's paying for it. And so in that context, you know, whether this you know reduces that real income shock that was doing much of the work to to kind of you know slow demand in a supply constrained environment is is certainly a fear there, especially in the context of you know a fairly large current account deficit at the moment up around. Eight percent of GDP yeah. and that large external financing need um, for for the UK at the moment. So it's you know a question of whether it is whether the UK is really in a in a position where it can just smooth through a, a temporary period of, of higher imported energy costs, or whether it does have implications for you know the, the longer term outlook and those structural factors. And is there transference of government money to energy companies? That's the uh, you know that's the big concern. You know, is it all adding to their profits? Look, Christine Lagarde, just very briefly. It's I mean it's worth mentioning. She was talking. Uh, and uh, saying the ECB uh, will only start their quantitative tightening. That would be one thing, you know, if the Bank of England was going to meet, you know, would they reverse their decision on quantitative tightening? They're only going to start once they've completed their normalisation of interest rates. So they've got five trillion euros of bonds on their balance sheet. They're quite happy for them to stay there. Um, You know, I guess they think there's other fires to fight right now. Although there are debates, I think, even within the ECB about whether that's a good idea or not. Yeah, that's right. Certainly, um, those comments from from Lagarde at a, a regular testimony to, to European Parliament were fairly strong. That it, you know, it is that that pop, you know that policy rate that is the the default tool and the most appropriate, efficient, and effective tool in Lagarde's words at the moment for um, moving monetary policy, um, and that you know they're not really not focused on. 
um, you know, quantitative tightening um, at the moment, and that'll be considered, you know, in due course once policy rates get back to, to neutral settings. That's in a little bit of contrast to, to comments we had just recently out of the, the Bundesbank's Nagel, who is, is clearly for a reduction um, in the balance sheet. Um, given that the kind of, you know, the, the purpose of those tools is, is now complete and wants to see that unwind. Just some important context here. I think Lagarde talking about, you know, only focusing on, on balance sheet reduction and quantitative tightening when rates are at neutral. That's not necessarily too far away given market pricing estimates from some ECB yeah. officials for neutral in, in the Eurozone is something around two or a little bit below. Um, and, you know, market pricing at the moment has, has the ECB going 75 in the October meeting and getting to two by, by the end of the year. And so even though she's kind of kicking the can down the road to when rates are at neutral at the moment to have that discussion, um, it still could yeah. be, you know, a matter of, a matter of weeks or months rather than, than years that, 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 that our process will play out in. But, you know, when they get to two, we'll be discussing whether actually that is, uh, the, the neutral rate or not. And, uh, you know, will it be higher? <laughs> That's another one to have, isn't it? And certainly nothing to say that they won't choose to keep moving the policy rate into restricted territory over quantitative tightening as well. It's not necessarily yeah. a, a done deal once they get there. M- moving goalposts everywhere, isn't it? Look, uh, the I guess I mean this is uh, this is a situation where you know again you know bad news is good news, but you know the uh, we are seeing softer data. You know that that means that you know demand is softening, so that's got to be good for bringing down inflation. Plus the fact oil, you know, as I mentioned, big falls again in oil so oil is getting cheaper uh, but we saw the german ifo fell further the dallas fed manufacturing index uh, was lower overnight as well the oecd economic outlook revised down well revised up for inflation but revised down for everything else so uh, you know it's uh, i mean may, maybe there's some hope that we we are getting close to being over the worst of it yeah so certainly um on the you know economic data front it really was that that german ifo survey that was the the most important read in the last 24 hours or so and and confidence there dipped by more than expected, so dropping from 88.6 to, to 84.3 versus expectations for a fall to 87, so so weaker than expected even with expectations for a, a decline. Um, and that decline was really led by the expectations component as well, probably um, unsurprisingly given the, the headwinds that, that Europe and, and Germany is is facing at the moment and kind of broad-based across sectors too, which is um, also notable and certainly nothing in there to kind of disagree with the uh, the OECD's um, interim economic outlook update, Germany leading the the downward revisions there. Um, forecasts were for um, growth of one point seven percent over twenty twenty three back in June. That's been revised down to a growth of minus zero point seven percent, so a two point four mm. percentage point downgrade for Germany, and and you know comfortably in contraction territory over the whole of twenty twenty three on those forecasts. Um, and you know the euro area as a whole downgraded quite sharply as well um, to zero point three percent growth over 2023 and really the commentary in that economic update reads as as you would expect given um, what we've seen recently a big a big hit to to Europe warning of a, a difficult winter and the, the cost from energy scarcity and the the war in Ukraine um, and then also notes kind of broader inflation recently and a need for higher interest rates across most advanced economies so really no surprises in in the reading there and a very very sharp downgrade to, to global economic growth led by Europe. 
Um, Australia mm. not not immune to the deteriorating um, global outlook, but faring kind of relatively well when you you look across the revision. So the OECD now forecasting growth over 2023 of of two percent compared to 2.5 percent um, in in the June update. There we can live with that, can't we? Gee, I mean, uh, it really is. It's sounding like a basket case in many parts of the world, didn't it? Did we uh, did we hear much from uh, Fed speakers overnight? I know there are a few out, uh, but I know uh, Raphael Bostic still said we had a way to go. In fact, at the weekend on, uh, on on CBS, he was asked whether he thought there could be a soft landing. And his answer to that was, well, he thinks there'll be job losses. So in the, I think he said there's one scenario uh, where there might be a soft landing, sort of implying that there are many others that are less optimistic. So uh, he was out talking again. What else were we hearing from Fed speakers? Yeah, so comments, not not really too much new from from Fed speakers. Again, kind of, you know, those talks of of what used to be soft landing is now avoiding deep, deep recession and, um, you know, avoiding a, a big downturn. So certainly the goalposts seem to be shifting slightly there as just the the task of that inflation challenge is um is made clearer in their minds. A um, couple of other interesting comments from um, Bostic again, actually speaking um, to the Washington Post, just noting that the the uncertainty and, and volatility in markets at the moment generated from that um, that that UK um, growth plan update, um, you know, adds even more uncertainty, and and certainly in an environment in which uncertainty is higher. Um, then that that can feed back into into lower investment plans and and slower growth. And so, um, you know, the the key quote there is probably asked whether whether it makes um, a difference to the the um, U.S. outlook. Said it it doesn't help. And so, some of that volatility in mm. markets at the moment catching the attention of of Fed speakers. Yeah. So the contagion from the UK is it's just adding to all the uncertainty, isn't it? So we've got to Jerome Powell talking today. So is Charles Evans. We also get US new home sales and durable goods, plus the uh, the conference board consumer confidence read. I'm sensing all that's going to be bad news. Although the curious thing about the uh, the last conference board survey, uh, we had uh, 22.3% of new businesses expected conditions were going to worsen, which obviously was more than those who thought it would improve. But 17.4%, this is going to be interesting to see what this figure is this time but 17.4 percent said they expected more jobs to be available which was up from 15.1 percent so we've got that whole thing about worsening conditions but a tighter labor market which is exactly what the fed doesn't want to see and it you know that tighter labor market just continues doesn't it so it'll be interesting to see what what figure that is in the conference board today yeah, certainly. So expectations there for a small lift in in consumer confidence. Um, but yeah, as you say, kind of the detail of that release um, will also be closely watched for for any signs of of you know shifting in labour market tightness is is one that will be watched fairly closely in the consumer confidence board measure. Um, and you know, at, at the moment, you know, still still signalling that 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 is a tight um, labour market backdrop in the US. And I also see Hugh Pill is going to be speaking from the from the Bank of England, of course, uh, speaking on a panel. Uh, he's he's going to have to choose his words very carefully today, isn't he? Yeah, I, I think that's right. Um, so yeah, Hugh Pill, the chief economist at the BOE, speaking on a, a Barclays panel on on the economic and monetary policy challenges ahead. Um, so as you say, given the environment at the moment, we'll be choosing his words carefully, yeah. but certainly worth um, paying attention there as well to see what he has and to say. And as if there's not enough bad news around Hurricane Ian is about to start lashing the Florida coast. It's likely to become a Category 3 hurricane in the next few hours. You know, there was a time when the the, the market impact of a hurricane uh, in in the south of the United States was, was something we sort of led the podcast on. But, you know, these are clearly very different times. We're just mentioning it as, a, as an aside almost at the end of the day and, you know, when there's so much turmoil in the markets. Uh, good to have you on today, Taylor. We'll catch you again very soon. Thanks. Thanks, Phil.
And I wonder how many Tory MPs in the UK are now sitting there thinking, oh, you know, perhaps we should have stuck with Boris. Better the devil you know. Uh, We'll see what the day brings today. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. I'm back again tomorrow morning. I'll see you then. Thanks for listening in.